listening to the Apollo Podcast Network. One. To win championships, you've got to have a championship organization. Brexit. What a pass to Anders. A king follows. Toy branch fires. He converts. Rhymes again. Up shot. Transition for Angela Harris. Jerome says not today, not in Houston. Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod Slam and Jamma presented by Apollo Media, all Houston, all original. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Andy Anes, and I covered the University of Houston men's basketball team for the Daily Cougar, uh, freelancing a little bit for the Houston Chronicle and other smaller outlets. You can find me on Twitter at Ayana's underscore five, and I'll toss it over to my second host for tonight's episode. And I'm Dayan Dunlap. I'm the color commentary for all of Houston women's basketball throughout the past season on ESPN Plus. I also do play-by-play for Texan Live and Legacy Sports Network on the internet. Man, I'm excited for it today. But be sure and follow us, official Apollo Media account, at Apollo H-O-U, as well as hitting the subscription button on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever you listen to your podcast. We will greatly appreciate it. Dayon, you're making your Pot Slime and Jamma debut. Uh, honestly, real quickly, before we kind of jump into the topics here, um, you know, what do you feel about joining us? What made you want to join us? Man, I, I saw you guys on Twitter, and I just have a passion for Houston. I'm a Coug alum, Houston alum, graduated just recently last year, but I got there in 2016, so I was there. I got there right before they tore down the high line, so Cougar basketball, right before they were just kind of on their upswing and the women's were struggling. That's when I started following the program, and I saw you guys on Twitter, and I really just wanted to be involved and just spread my knowledge because I, I love talking about them. So I wanted to join the family. So, uh, yeah, make sure you guys follow me on Twitter. It's at Dayon Dunlap. You got this down, man. You you have the the way how to plug yourself and everything. That's that's how you know you're a pro. But um, honestly, so the first segment, we're going to talk about the, the highs and lows of the women's basketball season. And honestly, I'm going to defer a lot to you because you covered you like we talked about off air. You covered each and every home game for the University of Houston women's basketball team this past year in the 2020-21 season. So when we talk about, you know, the highs and lows of their season, the first thing that comes to my mind when it comes to you know, the high has to be when they defeated USF in that final home game or not. Was it the final home game or it no, was it the last game in February, right, uh, right. February 27th. They played Cincinnati the, the, like a few days after. Um, right, right. But yeah, yeah that win against USF. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think I agree with you. That was for sure their highest of the season right there because at that point they were riding a seven-game winning streak and playing really good basketball, really good team basketball, spreading the game around, turning team over. And I think Coach Hughes finally – I don't want to say finally because over the last couple of years, well, I would say to be exact, the lags – Four years, he has a record of 64 and 55, and they're known for their defense. And he's implemented his culture as far as being aggressive on the defensive end, getting steals, playing high pace, and with that seven-game win streak and the way they beat UCF, the way it was a team effort, they moved the basketball and they was able to knock down shots and just play loosely at Cougar basketball. I think that was their highest high of the season right there for sure. 
and we were we were both at that game and you know the thing that still sticks out to me um even it's about to be two months it's crazy how how quickly time passes but uh it was honestly the way they they kind of dominated the bulls in that game uh, i know in the first quarter or so it, it was kind of like a, a game of runs but from the second quarter onward houston kind of really took control of that game and and jasmine lewis was honestly one of the key players in terms of they kind of played like the men's for a little bit where they were kind of crashing the glass and getting a whole bunch of second chance opportunities in that game. Yeah, for what ja- and Jasmine Lewis had kind of come in that part in her second season as a sophomore. She was implemented to the starting lineup and she was really able to show her offensive ability down on the block. She has really good feet work. She can finish with both hands around the glass. She's um, showed that she can knock down that mid-range job shot. She really had to come in that part and she had a good game in that game. Also, you got to talk about Layla Blair. You guys talked about her as well. We'll continue to talk about her throughout this episode. But in that game against South Florida, she had 15 points. She led them in school with 15 points. If I can remember correctly, three steals. And she just had a consecutive game. That's where she got better and better throughout the season. And just starting with that game, she learned from their first game when they lost to South Florida away and when they came, was able to bounce back and just beat them the way they did. It was, it was a quite impressive, really quite impressive. So we talk about this South Florida game. What other kind of off the radar moment would you kind of put up there with, what could be one of the high moments for the season for the UH team? I would say they're one of – after they lost to Tulane, the way they bounced back um, after that, I was impressed. I can't remember exactly who they played, but another moment they against Memphis on the road, they, COVID had hit them. They had maybe seven players available, if I'm not mistaken. And this was early in their season. They only had seven players this was in um, December, if I'm not mistaken. And um, yeah. they went down there, had seven players, seven or eight players, and they was able to come out with that win. And I think well, Coach Huey, I was able to talk to Coach Huey before every game. He said that was a turning moment for his team as far as people were just looking at each other like, hey, we've been here before. Let's just not get rattled. And that was some of the adversity that they faced. And he said from his mouth that that was one of the turning moments for him. And I think the team rallied from that point on, and they kind of expected to to win. And that's one of the difference that I saw from this team in years past since I've been at UH, since I've been covering. This year, they had an expectation to win. And then when they had the success, that's kind of to segue to a good segue to um, the lows of the season was when they bounced back to loss to Cincinnati. After you beat South Florida the way you did, and then you have Cincinnati who – had a really um, a down year, but had a really good player in Amari Thomas who led the conference in scoring, but they was around a second or last finish in the conference, and you come back and you lose. I think that was the low because the next part of a program, I'm sure coaches will agree with this, is being able to handle success. When you have the success, with success comes expectation. And they lost to South Florida – and it was a huge high, but you had to be able to handle that success and come out and not impose your will on a team that you're better than, uh, or which I thought they were been had more talent than they're better in. Cincinnati had the better of them, so you got to give them credit. But I think that was their low um, of the season. But going, they bounced back after that. Um, 
beating San, UCF, I mean, ECU in the conference tournament. So I think really overall, I think it was just a, it was a good year. They, they fought through adversity, never laid down and just um, they really just gave up. I think for them to keep fighting and come out with the record that they did, they had a really good year. Yeah, you mentioned that loss to Cincinnati. I, I kind of agree with you in terms of that being the low, not only because, you know, kind of the letdown after beating USF, but just in terms of what it meant. Justin and I kind of touched on it last week, our our last podcast. But uh, and you can you can tell me if you kind of agree with this, but that loss to Cincinnati was kind of what ended up knocking them out of the NCAA tournament. They ended up being the first team out of that tournament. Uh, if they beat Cincinnati maybe they find themselves in the big dance. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. I think that, I think if they beat Cincinnati, they go into the tournament, they beat ECU, they would have had a, a rematch with UCF, and they would have felt better about themselves. But that injury with Diamond, it really did hurt them for sure, especially with lo- losing Julia Blackshear Fair. And I think that was – I think that was – I would kind of put that in the category as one of their highs in a sense of – they lost a really, really good, tough player in Julia Blackshell Fair, but that that's some of the adversity that they face in this season. The way they bounced back, I was talking to Coach Huey, and the way he said Diamond, Brittany Onyanje, and even Michael Crump, who we know transferred, they all came to him. It was like, Coach Huey, we, we're willing to do whatever it takes because we know Julia gave us everything. She gave us rebounding, assists, whatever we needed on any given game. She would do all those little things. So they rallied together, and then – that's when Layla Blair started to ascend when Julia went down because she was in, inserted to a star lineup. She got more comfortable, started making more plays, less turnovers, making more shots. So I think that was also one of their highs, although they lost one of their good players and one of the pillars to the program. Yeah, you, you hit it right in the nail with those two points. Uh, I feel like the Diamond Gladney injury was kind of – it came at the worst possible time. It came during that same – game when they beat USF and she ended up missing obviously the game against Cincinnati and it, it spread into the conference tournament and she was really a player that they missed in terms of just scoring on offense and facilitating as well in terms of you you mentioned Layla Blair how she was 1A and 1B with Maya Crump in terms of leading the team in scoring but at times especially in that game against uh, Central Florida and the American Athletic Conference tournament it seemed like Houston was kind of lost a bit especially offensively in that game Yep, and Diamond Coach Rudy characterized Diamond and Julia Blair I mean not Julia I mean, uh, Julia Blackshaw Fair and Diamond as the rocks of the team. And, I, I mean, I can see why. Especially both of them were playmakers. When things kind of settle down, they can give in, they can make a play for themselves, whether it's penetrating and dishing out to a shooter or just getting into the lane, kind of causing a foul and getting to the free throw line. They was really good at just – they both have a really good basketball IQ and making plays. And when Julia went down – Maya Crump stepped out, started making more plays. And then when Diamond went down, Layla started making more plays. So it was – they definitely did hurt. It was definitely a tough time when Diamond went down with the timing of that injury, like you said. That was that was a tough blow, but it just continued to the adversity that they face. And I think they really believe in the culture that's it. We hear it a lot with the men's program. I know men, you do all the time with Coach Sampson and everyone – Coach Huey, it really has the culture set over there. I think Diamond's going to come back um, in the senior year and have a really good season. She's a, a really good leader. And 
Layla Blair, and we'll talk more about what they have coming up. But I think they had a good year, and I think they're on up. Yeah, I think that's the perfect way to kind of wrap up this segment and we'll kind of segue into our upcoming segment where we're going to talk about how the programs, both the men's and women's side, build from the success they had this past season coming right up on Pod Slime and Jamma. Looking for a better way to rep H-Town? Be sure to check out ApolloHOU.com for Astros and Rockets apparel you can't find anywhere else. Use promo code LAUNCH for 10% off at checkout. Apollo HOU, all Houston, all original. And we're back here on Pod Slime Jamma, your home for all things Houston hoops. I'm Andy Yanez. I'm one of your hosts for this episode. And, you know, we kind of talked about the, the highs and lows of the women's basketball season in our previous segment. So we'll jump right in, picking up with the women's side. Um, Dion, you, you mentioned Layla Blair a lot in the previous segment. I feel like she's obviously one of the players that can help build from the success she had for the Cougars this past season, especially in terms of, you know, she kind of had to kind of got thrown into the fire after the, the injuries that they suffered early in the year, in the year with Julia Blackshell fair. And then towards the end of the season with diamond Gladney, she kind of had to carry the load, especially in the conference tournament. Yeah. And she comfortably still right into their role and their role. And, and when Colin doing all of their home games and seeing, Layla played. One of the things that stuck out to me, and I was able to ask her during one of the calls that we had, was I could. To me, it seemed like she was like always the best player on every team growing up. And I can tell when she stepped on the floor in college, she, she played with that supreme confidence. But sometimes it would be so fast, or she would do something or not give it up, or just kind of go too fast and kind of turn the ball over, whatever may happen. And as the season went on, she started to slow down. She started to make more plays and make more assists and less turnovers. And she had, I can't remember off my head, a consecutive games where she had a high number of points and lower assists. And she, uh, Coach Hughes raved about her work at the She's always she, they had to make like fifteen hundred shots a, a day, and she was the first one in, first one out. And just the way she took control of the team, as far as from a guard perspective, high confidence. She could finish in the lane, left hand, right hand, can shoot the three, can create off the dribble. I think she's definitely the bright spot for this program going forward. And a, a really good young lady from what um, Coach Huey says, very religious young lady. And I think she's going to be a really good one um, going forward. Yeah, I remember early in the season, uh, or I think it was right before the season started, Ron Huey had a, a lot of high praise for Layla Blair. I think at one point he kind of had a comparison where her ceiling could have been as high as Chandy Jones' ceiling was for, for U of H in such a, you know, a few years back. But, you know, it's interesting when you, when you talk about how, how much success she had in the season and, and as a team, as a whole, I kind of want to take it and, you know, ask your opinion on, do you, do you feel like it might be a little different now that, Houston is kind of one of those top teams in the American Athletic Conference. Uh, I know Tulane lost a couple of players to the transfer portal and UCF and USF. Obviously, I feel like they're still the top two teams in the conference. But would you kind of say that Houston's right there third, uh, maybe fourth? If you want to add in Tulane, where, where do you put Houston in terms of where they should rank up next season? 
I mean, coming into the season, I think Houston arguably is one, two, and three like they showed throughout this entire season. I expect for them to be in the upper echelon up there battling for that top spot next year. I think with the talent coming back overall, we just mentioned Layla. She was only a freshman coming back into her sophomore season. Brittany Onyeje coming to her junior year. She had missed basketball for two years, and I expect from her to get better. She showed that she can really knock down a three and is a lockdown defender, but I think she's going to expand her game even more to do more off the dribble for people to just trying to run her off the three-point line. I think she's going to get better. We talked about Diamond and both of the posts. Tatiana Hill is going to be a senior coming back, Jasmine Lewis. And just to the collection, with that group right there and the chemistry that they had, not to even get into the transfers and the players that we'll talk about in the later segment, just with that core that they have returning, with Coach Huey, and I think the culture is said. I can't say we can't say culture enough because that's all we hear around the Houston Cougars men's and women's program. And I think it is said the talent is there, the the chemistry is there, and with success, I said it in that first episode, it breeds expectation. They're gonna expect to win, they're gonna get people's tough games, but I think they're are hungry to prove, and I think the men's program really challenges them and I think they really want to get to that level they're going to be sponsored by Jordan next year so all those little things are just going to play into recruits coming in players and coaches everyone doing it the right way coach Huey talked about having a good relationship with coach Simpson and learning I think coach Huey became a better coach this year so overall I think they'll be right up there in the in the top from the American Conference. And it, it's a good conference. I think it was really slept on. Uh, Tulane had, um, had some good players. I don't know you said they lost them to the transfer portal, but South Florida is going to be good. USF is going to – UCF, I mean, is going to be good. I think the conference is good, but Houston, I think, it has arrived. I think they're going to be – um, a team that will make it to the tournament next year. I would be – I would bet on it if I was a betting man. That's high praise for for this team, and you know, coming from you, it, it has a lot more uh, weight just because you you see them every home game for sure, and just night in and night out. Uh, one thing I remember heading into before the, this past season, one thing that they kept emphasizing was they wanted to dub this season a redemption year, uh, just in terms of you know the kind of down year they had in 2019, the 2019-20 season, and they certainly did that. And right off the gates, when they had their non-conference portion of the schedule you know just go back to their first game of the season they had to open up at Oklahoma and they had a, a strong impressive win in that game and they kind of carried that momentum through the rest of the non-conference schedule and into the American Athletic Conference schedule like we we kind of mentioned like in February they went undefeated that month and yeah they had that that kind of letdown against Cincinnati but they have a lot to, to build on and, and one thing that honestly hasn't been talked about enough uh, they ended their season with a win in the WNIT. Um, do you feel like that's going to be a good, or it was a good thing that they could kind of carry over into next season, kind of ending the season with a win, which isn't always the case for, for a lot of teams? I think so. I think that's a, um, a good point that you made. They beat an Arizona State team who was in the Pac-12, and I think the way they did it, Layla let them in scoring with 12 points. She had a good game, and I – I think that bode well. I think they built their confidence to end your season on a good note, just with the win. That goes into the work. I, I think that I think that's going to bleed them well going forward. And just going forward with the talent that they have returning, we didn't even mention Julia Blackshell Fair. She tore her ACL, but 
she was a senior potentially. I'm not sure if she will be able to come back, but if she does come back, the role that she can play and what she brings to that team, along with the talent coming in, I think they're right on the right pace. But what about to the men? You covered the men a lot. What are your expectations for as far as them building on next year? Yeah, they they have a, a quite uh, – high level they have to kind of try to live up to after they reached the final four this past season. And we kind of talked about it off air, but uh, we, they, they have a good cornerstones to kind of build on next season with Tremont Mark, Marcus Sasser, Fabian White's going to have a full year, honestly, a full off season where he doesn't have to worry about rehab or anything like that. I think Reggie Chaney, the way he, what he did for the team down the stretch kind of got inserted into that starting lineup towards the end of the season. And he held that role throughout the tournament, uh, the American Athletic Conference tournament, and into the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, it's interesting. They're, they're kind of in a transition phase, obviously losing Quentin Grimes, Dejan Giroux, Justin Gorm, in all likelihood with Quentin already declared for the NBA draft, and Dejan, Justin, and Bryson are likely going to be gone as their seniors and, you know, they graduated. Um, but when we talk about the incoming talent and like you said, Jamal shed uh, who's a freshman, he didn't play too much for Houston, but he had good stretches at times whenever you know, Tremont Mark or Marcus Sasser, any of the guards were getting into foul trouble. He played significant minutes and, you know, you mentioned how you, you saw him coming up through high school and how much he impressed you. One thing that Calvin Sampson talked about is he, he's kind of highlighted him too. I remember last season uh, before you know, obviously the season got canceled for COVID and everything, but Kelvin Sampson would talk about Justin Gorham in that way where then you people will really get to see how good he is the following season. And this past season, he, he showed out. I mean, he, he became an elite rebounder. He was really one of the anchors for this team. And Kelvin Sampson has kind of done the same thing with Jamal Shedd. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, we mentioned it. Could he potentially be a starter? And then, you know, the incoming players coming in, you know, Ramon Walker just won the Gabby Lewis Award in 2021. That's the same award that Tremont Mark won a year ago. And the team has a lot of talent. They've added a, a few transfers, too. I feel like. I'm not sure if they can reach the final four again. There's still a lot of stuff that has to happen. It's barely April to see if they can match that. But I think they have the cornerstones in place to, to be able to build on the success they had this season. No, I agree with you for sure. They definitely have the cornerstone and that's the head man, Coach Sampson. If the Coach Sampson tells you anything about a guard or a player you believe in, especially a guard, look at the guards that came out of Houston from Damian Dyson to Rob Gray to Corey Davis, Armani Brooks. Now we got Quinn Grimes. And the next man up right now, that Tremont Mark. I've seen him a lot in high school. As you mentioned, I do play by play for Texan Live as well. And I, I saw his last two years, his junior and his senior year, which he carried him to the state tournament. I call all of his high school games, Tremont Mark. That guy is ultra talented. And I know you guys mentioned in the last episode that what was the biggest um, moments. And to me, the biggest moment was Tremont Mark. And his freshman season against Rutgers, getting an offensive rebound, that was what's the key. Him crashing the glass, getting that offensive rebound, put back in one in that big moment after he hit the game winner against Memphis in the end of the regular season. But to do that in there, and that's the culture. And I think he's the next guard up his offensive ability. When I looked at him in his freshman year, I could tell 
at times he I don't know if he wasn't all the way comfortable. He had that confidence, but his skill set, three level score, can do it from three, can create off the dribble. He showed his ability to get to the free throw lines, a good free throw shooter. I expect him and I expect Jamal Shed. I expect him, me personally, to be a starter. I saw him his junior and senior year, his playoff run as well. And he's a a, C, a Chris Paul type of point guard, a pass-first point guard that can score the basketball. We remember Galen Robinson. He's a floor general like that, can push the tempo, was a pass-first, got great basketball IQ, can control the game, but he also can score. He's a bull defensively. I think people are really going to see how good he is. And I'm just looking at the players that we had coming in, the players that they have coming in, none of them – are true point guards. So just looking at the roster from coming back, nobody was a true point guard. And just look at Dejan Giroux, his junior year, that was his really his, he was in and out of starting lineup, but he was his first year as far as being the head man, a point guard in Copacetic system. Fast forward, second year, his senior year, and the jump that he made, albeit that he was a senior and experience that he had, but look at the jump. So I expect, Second season, Jamal Shedd under Kel, head coach Kelvin Sampson, point guard. I think he'll be the starter. And I expect him and him and um Tremont Mark. I even also saw, as you just mentioned, the recruit that they got coming in. Um, what's his name once again? You just mentioned it. Ramon Walker. Went, yeah, Ramon Walker. He won Ramon Walker. I, was, I did a game against him last year in the playoffs. And he's he's a as a scoring guard, a two guard, a three guard, three level scores, a really good score, really. Shoot the basketball inside, good fundamental player. I expect him to come in, potentially have an impact as well as a true freshman. He's a really good sound guard, big body. I think Houston's a guard heavy program to me. And but Fabian, you can't I cannot rave enough about Fabian. You talked about the minutes that he got to play, but the way that he expanded his game coming back. Now he's knocking down three-pointers, not just a quarter. We saw him hit a big shot, if I'm not mistaken, against Rutgers at the top of the key. I'll yeah. admit. And so, yeah. not only can he shoot the three, he will give Houston an element that they really didn't have until he came back when throwing the ball down low in him. They, they played through Reggie Chaney some, but I think they will feature Fabian a lot more on the block in that mid-range. His mid-range jumper is automatic, but he can also score on the block. And then, so I think they would play more inside out next year, but I expect Houston and Houston is one of the best and they're a powerhouse. They're, they're going to get their recognition next year because last year they didn't get to do it because of COVID. So this year, final four run, I expect them to be in the tournament, of course, but I think I expect for them to make a deep run. I'm not going to say final four because it's tough, but a deep run. Yeah, and, and just the, the ceiling they kind of established, it's kind of hard. It's going to be really hard to have to break through that ceiling. Uh, honestly, the only way to break it is to to reach that national championship game and eventually win it all. But, you know, we talk about Fabian Why one point I wanted to make uh, that you touched on. Um, you know, you mentioned that Tremont Mark at times was kind of, you know, he, he didn't seem like he was fully fit in in terms of just the way it was his freshman season. Uh, I've heard a, a couple of people tell me that they kind of saw the same thing with Fabian White, you know, coming off the injury. He never seemed fully comfortable with his role. Obviously, he was kind of trying to fit in at the same time with Justin Gorham, Reggie Chaney, and and Bryson Gresham. They had kind of established a rotation for the entire season. And then the, you know, the last six weeks or so, 
Fabian White's just inserted into that mix. It, it was a, certainly a hard role to kind of throw himself in. But like you mentioned, that Rutgers game, Fabian White was huge. You, you mentioned the the three on the top of the key. I know he had a, a, a post move and he got fouled in N1. I'm not sure. I can't remember. It was prior to that three or after, but he he had a good stretch down in that game when Houston was kind of teetering down 10 to keep Houston in the game, and eventually they were able to come back. Yep, and we got to remember, he was a starter his first two years before getting hurt. His first three years before, well, after Devin left, he was a starter for those couple seasons, and then he was forced to come off the bench like you just mentioned. That was adjustment period, but next year he's going to be a feature guy. He's going to be the starter he can play. He'll be at that power forward position mostly, I think, with Reggie Chaney being one of the um, transfers they got coming in. Josh Carlton, the 6'11", um, almost really just a seven-footer, so Fabian would be even more at that power forward spot where he relish because he's big and he can finish inside and out. So I expect Fabian to have a really good year, probably comeback player of the year or something because I think he's going to be another player that possibly can get drafted. He's going to show his versatility, a big guy that can stretch the floor and what they look for. And so he can potentially play that five spot at the next level, being six, eight, six, nine. And you don't have to really be big in the NBA. You just need to be able to make shots. And Fabian can do that for Houston. I think he's going to vote well for him. And Reggie Chaney as well. Like you said, get into the starting lineup, getting that rip. I like his toughness. I like his rebounding. He can score both hands, left hand, right hand, down low. He's a really good, tough player as well. So I think they're going to be a, a post-heavy team, play through their post more than they did this previous year. One last player that I wanted to mention that we haven't yet, and that's Marcus Sasser, who's coming off. You know, he was one of the few UH players that had a good game against Baylor in that Final Four game. You know, he's going to be entering his junior season. Uh, what do you expect from him in his third year? Uh, obviously, I, I think one of the things that he kind of needs to work on would be consistency for for various stretches in terms of his shooting. But that's that's something that that comes and goes. Uh, for you, what what would be the biggest step that Marcus Sasser has to make in his third year? For me, I think Sasser, of course, consistency. I think we're going to need that from him because he's going to be um, a three-year a, a three year starter, basically, and he's going to be one of our upperclassmen. So I think we, we – I definitely would like to see consistency. He is a, a really good shooter. I would like him to take him from being a really good shooter to a great shooter. I think consistency is where he takes that next mark and really just expand his game. He – plays good on the defensive end, just continue to show that he can – he's going to – I think he would have the ball more in his hands next year with Dejan Drow and gone. And he played a lot of point this year, but I think just more consistency. He, he does everything well, like you mentioned, in a big game against Baylor. He had a good game. And the other game against, I think, Rutgers, um, he struggled but came in, knocked down some clutch free throws. He's a really good shooter. I, I love Marcus Sasser's game. I think just – that Nick, his next level is being consistently a high-level score, high-level good, or just being good consistently scoring the basketball because that's where he really does well. So I think he will do, he'll do that. I expect for him to do that. Look at the guards that we, Nate Hinton. We forgot to mention him in those collection of guards that we mentioned earlier, but he was consistently good. So I expect Marcus Sasser to do that, and I think he will become – 
um, a better leader. I'm not sure his style of leading, but with being an upper class and having experience that he was able to gain, I think leading is going to be a, another thing that he would do with the transfers and the young guys that they got coming in, the young guys who will be forced to take upon bigger roles. They're going to look at him. I think he would be a good one to accept the example. So I expect him to build on this season, become more consistent because he was really Houston's arguably best shooter. I think he was their best shooter, in my opinion. Coming right up on Pod Slime Jamma, we're going to start a new segment on the show. We reached out to you, the listeners, to pick our next topic. We'll kind of do a bit of a mailbag and kind of run through a couple of things that our listeners reached out to us on social media. Coming right up on Pod Slime Jamma, your home for University of Houston Hoops. Looking for a better way to rep H-Town? Be sure to check out ApolloHOU.com for Astros and Rockets apparel you can't find anywhere else. Use promo code LAUNCH for 10% off at checkout. Apollo HOU. All Houston. All original. And we're back on Pots Time Jamma, your home for University of Houston hoops. Today on, we're going to jump right into this mailbag. One of the the, the players specifically that... that one of our followers or one of my followers on social media asked about was LSU transfer Tierra Young uh, for LSU this past season. She averaged 8.2 points a game and in addition to 3.6 rebounds. Uh, but really the one thing that caught my eye in that introduction that the women's team did when they announced the official mm-hmm. signing was how Ron Huey kind of compared her to Layla Blair a little bit and, that that was interesting. That kind of caught my attention. We obviously we've had high praise for Layla Blair throughout this show, but Dayon, what, what do you think about the addition of Tiara? I think it's going to be a huge addition in some of the games, and she played in the SEC for one. That was one of the best conference in women's basketball last season. She played against the number seventeen Texas A and M in a win. And, and against AM, she had one of her best games, 20 points. Against South Carolina, the number fourth ranked team, she had a really good game, 16 points and six rebounds in a loss. But against Georgia, who was another a ranked team at the time, she had 17 points and five rebounds and two assists in a win. So, and then three of the toughest, with the toughest teams, the best talents and at LSU last year, she had her best game. So what that tells me in those big moments and it gets on the best talent, she's confident. She steps up in that moment. And I um, saw Chris Gardner talk to her. Uh, I read some of his tweets from him where he, I think he maybe was able to talk to her and said she's uh, um, recruited high out of the state of Louisiana. She's from Louisiana, was recruited really well. And I think comparing her to Layla, I watched some of her highlights as far as her ability to get to the basket and make plays for herself off the dribble, I think that's what Coach Shuey meant. He said that she's still developing her three-point shot, and I think she will do that when she gets to Houston because they like to shoot a lot of threes. But with her ability to make plays not only for herself and her teammates coming from the SEC with the collection of talent that she's seen in that conference alone, I think she'll have all supreme confidence playing in the American Athletic Conference against some of the teams that she'll see and the opponents that she'll see and teaming up with Layla Blair. And this is one thing I heard as well. I think when she was coming out of high school, she was being recruited by Texas Tech and Erica Sidney was there and Erica Sidney toured her at Tech. And Erica Sidney, who you know now, played for Houston graduated, but she's a Houston product and very loved Houston. You mentioned how she talked about um, some of the players that they got. And I think she was 
involved in, in getting Tierra Young. I'm assuming that's assuming I don't know for sure, but I think, I mean, you got to every recruitment that they got who also from Purdue, they got the transfer. She's average. Um, Fantu Diagne, forgive me if I pronounced that wrong, but she averaged with eight, eight and a half points, eight rebounds per game, a really good shot blocker. So they got more talent coming in. I think, I think Tierra Young is definitely going to help them though. For sure. Real quickly, I, I wanted to thank Matt Gill at Matt Gill on Twitter for, for posing that question on, on, like I said, on Twitter, but real quickly, Dayon, what you mentioned about Tierra Young and the conference she comes, obviously she comes from LSU, but the SEC, uh, how big is it for the Houston program that they've gotten, you know, a player from such a, a high conference? I think it's huge. I think it shows the trust that they have in the coaching staff because every quote that I'm reading from the players in their decision, it says they trust the coaching staff, but trust Coach Huey, Coach Ty, and some of the coaches that they have. And I think it's huge. Houston showed that they can beat some of these upper and extra line teams. They beat Oklahoma and they beat Auburn last season, who was in the SEC. And so they showed that they can compete and beat some of these teams who are in the quote unquote power five teams. And that's another argument for another day. I feel the American Athletic Conference in men's and women's sports, football, basketball, don't get enough credit, but I feel like Memphis, Cincinnati, Houston. I feel like they can should be recognized as a power team, especially with the talent that we have. Especially let's not hold the conversation for another day. I think um I think she'll be good though. Yeah, for sure. That's that that would be an interesting conversation. Obviously you hear the American Athletic Conference always kind of use the hashtag power six to describe their conference. And like you mentioned, especially when it, when it comes to basketball and a lot of the other smaller sports, um, they have a, a good argument for it. Obviously with football, it's a little bit different, but even in terms of Cincinnati, how highly they were ranked in the football season, it's certainly a, a good conversation that it would be, a, it would be an interesting topic for one of these days. Uh, one more transfer that, that, we did not mention in last week's episode for the women's basketball team was Juco transferred Tamara Nard, who comes from Butler County Community College. And as a freshman in Juco, she averaged 16.2 points a game and 6.5 rebounds. And this past season as a sophomore, she averaged 12.8 points a game and 7.7 rebounds. So uh, we kind of mentioned this earlier in the show with, in terms of how Houston and I mentioned in particular Jasmine Lewis, but how good they are at kind of crashing the glass, especially in that, in that game against South Florida. Um, what stands out to me when we're kind of looking at these recruits and new players coming in, they're kind of putting a focus on rebounding and crashing the glass. And it, it kind of, you know, for me, it kind of, I wonder if they're kind of trying to get that emphasis on the men's side where they kind of make it a, one of the, I, I, I'd hate like to staple of, yeah, I, exactly. I know I what you're trying to say, exactly. like a staple of rebounding, the staple of rebound. I think so. And a player that I don't know why I forgot to mention in the first segment when we were talking about, um, or oh, I can't remember what segment it was, but with Bria Patterson, I know Coach Huey um, compared Tamara Nard took Bria Patterson's parts of skill set, and Bria Patterson will be coming in her junior season, where she started mostly her freshman 
in sophomore year, she suffered an MCL sprain, so she missed some time. But she was just leading rebounding, averaging around eight points, around seven rebounds before she got hurt, so almost a double-double. And she's one of those positionless players who can do just about everything, rebound and also take it coast-to-coast, initiate the offense, and actually can do things guards can do, but actually plays a powerful position. I think that's what – tomorrow nard does and to answer your question though i do think he's building a step around rebounding and and tough playing tough defense i think it's more around their defense and building build, getting out in transition just playing that tough hard no defense i know one thing that coach Huey told me and um matt peterson who i called the games with on one of our calls he was like coach samson came to one of their practices it was like coach Huey, you work on a lot of defense and he was like they don't count the stops on the scoreboard. He said they count makes. Work on a little bit more offense because they count makes. They don't count stops. Something along that line, I'm, I'm paraphrasing what Coach Huey said, Coach Samson, but somewhere along the line of he has the defense down and work on a little bit more offense. And offensively, they have so much talent coming back. I think their staple is their defense, rebounding, as you just mentioned, and now just trusting each other more on the offensive and continue to evolve their offensive game. They have more playmakers and more scoring and more rebounding to come into what they already had back. And I'm glad I mentioned that. Bria Patterson is another name to mention with the collection of talent that they got coming back with these recruits. She will be in that starting lineup and be a big contributor because she can do a ton of things on the floor as well. Real quickly, we're going to transition over to the men's side in terms of recruits. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about it in the last show, but obviously the big kind of headline name uh, so far for U of H has kind of been Kyler Edwards, who's transferring over from Texas Tech, uh, Tavon Moore from Cal State Bakersfield, and a UConn transfer, Josh Carlton, who didn't play much last season in terms of just the way the roster situation ended up shaping out for UConn, but a day on when you when I list off these three names, what what stands out to you about the additions that U of H has made from the transfer portal? Uh, of course, Kyler Edwards sticks out. I think, if I'm not mistaken, he was a freshman on when they made that run to the championship game. So he has that experience coming off of a good year where you guys mentioned his average around 10 points, shooting around 41% from three. And he's more of a combo guard that can do everything as Houston Cougar fans would. I want to make a comparison to the type of style from what I've watched, I watched him play last season, similar to a Nate hitting as far as tough and play tough to in the defense, can knock down a three, can get a shot off the dribble, get to the rim and finish around that type of player. And so I think that's a really good pickup. And also Taves Moore, he shot 51.4% from three. That's 50% from three. And we know how Houston likes to get up and play up tempo. If he can, as a sniper, like he was last year at Cal State Bakersfield. If he can be that from Houston, I think that'll bode well for them. And Josh Carlton, he's a 6'11". I remember when he played at UConn at Houston um, from not like two years ago. He had a really good game. He's a really big kid, and that's something Houston hasn't had in years past is almost like a seven-footer who can block shots. I think he'll have a really, really big year. He'd be really good in Houston's pick and roll offense, a drama slashing to the rim, catching oops, blocking shots and rebounding. I think he's going to have a really big year on the, on the block for Houston. So all three of them, I, I want to see Taze more. I saw Kyle Aries and I saw Josh Carlton. I haven't seen Taze more, but his numbers look quite impressive. 
Another question by Matt Gill on Twitter. He asked if there are any scholarship slots open for the men's side. And currently they do have one. Uh, but prior to getting on to, to, to record this podcast, I was talking to Chris Gardner earlier in the day. Uh, for those of you that don't know Chris Gardner, the Houston Rombaugh Review, you should go follow him. He, he has such a in-depth coverage with not just the University of Houston hoops, but with the Rockets All as well. Houston. Yeah, yeah. the city of Houston. And, you know, he mentioned how, yeah, the men's side has one scholarship slot open, but he said that Kelvin Sampson likes to have that scholarship slot open. And usually he carries it into the season with having that slot open just in case, you know, something ever happens. So that, that was interesting to me. And uh, another question asked by a different you, different follower on Twitter, at Justin Stewart at Justin Connected on Twitter, asked, where will Quentin Grimes be projected as a prospect for the upcoming NBA draft? Dayana, I'll toss it over to you in a little bit. But from the mock drafts that I've seen so far, Quentin Grimes has gone anywhere from early second round pick to mid in the second round. Where do you see Quentin Grimes going? I can see Quentin going um, somewhere in that late first round pick. I think for me, Quentin Grimes, I think scouts would be like his floor. From my opinion, his floor would be like a Danny Green and his ceiling would be like a Clay Thompson as far as like his potential. If he could, you know, be more consistent. He's a really good three point shooter. I think he could potentially be one of the best three-point shooters to continue to expand his game. He can get it off the dribble, but uh, big body, NBA body already. I think maybe late first round. I think he's for sure a first-round talent. I don't think he slips to the second round. I think when scouts be able to see him, he getting workouts, they see how he can handle the basketball and how he can really score and how fluid of an athlete he really is. I think he makes it into their first-round mix. That's an interesting comparison that you just did, uh, comparing him to Clay Thompson. And uh, I can't remember who it was, but during the, the American Athletic Conference tournament and the ESPN broadcast, they kind of made that same comparison with Quentin. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, I feel like Grimes has a, a long way to go in terms of shooting, but I could see the comparison just in terms of, especially this past season where Houston kind of used them. Really, he lived a lot in the perimeter and, I feel he still has a little work to do in terms of just being a, a absolute sniper. But, you know, what about that comparison kind of, I guess, what about Clay Thompson do you see in Quentin Grimes? For one, the size, they both were 6'6", 200, however many pounds. They both have that size. Quentin can defend. You have to prove that he can defend on the NBA level. Like Clay Thompson, Clay Thompson is, is uh, um all NBA defender, but I think Quinn can possibly be that. And just look at Clay at Washington State. He was a good shooter. Quinn, the way he got better, I think he can really develop into a great shooter. Now, Clay's one of the best shooters of all time. I'm not saying he can be one of the best shooters of all time, but if he can shoot 45% from three, 41, 42, or a high 40% from three consistently, I think Quinn can possibly do that. And that's what I see in him as far as the comparison to Clay Thompson. And even to comparison to Danny Green, I think his floor, Danny Green, is a, a similar player as far as skill set than Clay Thompson, but he's a different type of role player. He gives you plays really hard on the defensive end. He's a, a really good three-point shooter and a championship. He's a winner. I think Quinn can also be that type of player as well. But I think he, he has potential, all-star potential, and maybe Clay. And then 
I mean, having a career like Danny Green is not bad either, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. Our next question at this is not Mark on Twitter asks, what would it take to get the top local recruits? Question mark. Uh, so I'm guessing he's asking for both uh, men's and women's and real quickly for the men's side, I'd say that they're already getting top local recruits. And you mentioned Ramon Walker, who just won the 2021 Guy V. Lewis award. I mean, Houston's incoming freshman class is really high. And a lot of it is from local product, not only Ramon Walker, but Robbie Armbrister as well. And, and uh, I, I'm forgetting the name of the other freshmen that they're bringing in. Um, but I, I feel like the men's side is already doing it, getting a lot of top local recruits uh, in terms of the women's side. I think in order for them to get start landing those big recruits, honestly, just keep building what they have. And if they can get into the NCAA tournament and show that they're building something, you mentioned that you feel like Ron Huey has done a good job establishing the culture. If they can now, in, in my opinion, if, in terms of consistency, that's the key. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is the key. I think for the men's, I, th- I mean, I, I agree. I think they are getting the top talent. It is some still top talent, not only in the city, but in the state. So maybe he may not only in the city, but in the state of Texas, because we do see a lot of talent in Texas. But like Coach Sampson is kind of selective with his recruiting. I don't know if he always goes off with his old quote unquote five-star, four-star, we hear him talk about it. He don't always go. It's all always about fit for him. But well, some of the good talent in the city right now, like Bryce Griggs, he'll be coming into his senior year next year. He is ranked in the blank number 49 in the latest ESPN rankings. I caught a couple of his games. He would be one of the top um, pros- prospects in next year's recruiting classes. They can get him. Out of the out of the city, but I think the man is doing a good job. I think if it's a fit, Coach Samson can get it because all of these young men now, all of they know is Houston's in the tournament, the Fertitta Center, the nice thing that they have, Jordan, and all the good stuff. So, and then the Hall of Fame coach like Coach Samson. So I think the men are right on the right track, and I think they can if they choose to. In the women's, I think, like you said, continue to build on the to build on what they have going. And once they start getting that success, they're going to be sponsored by Jordan next year, one of the select few women's programs that are. So I think that's going to be big. We know how, how much kids are into, you know, Jordans and that type of stuff as far as recruiting. They're going to get the same facilities that the men's have, but it's all about success, having that success, winning, getting to the tournament, then more notoriety comes to your program. And then you can start landing some of those recruits and all that stuff kind of plays itself out. Our next question comes from Third Ward Coog on Twitter. And this is a bit of a fun question. He asks, you know, talk about the behind the scenes of last year covering these teams. You know, when it comes to Zoom meetings, that was obviously the kind of the way we had to do everything after the coronavirus pandemic started, a lot of Zooms. but Really, Dayana, I'll let you go first. How was it covering, you know, these two teams during this, such a unique time? I mean, it, it was different. So normally when you do play-by-play and color commentary like I did um, throughout the entire women's games, we would be courtside. But we were like kind of quarter almost in the corridor of the walking area in the Fortier Center. So I kind of liked it from up there because we can see the entire floor. We can see angles, but that was different. And also we couldn't have that player and coach face-to-face interaction 
after games as far as press conferences and talking to him before the game. So, like you said, we had to do Zoom and stuff like that. So, we had to make those just, but the biggest adjustments for me was not being courtside and not kind of hearing some of the coaches, just all of stuff that you would hear being courtside and having that courtside feeling. But it was an adjustment for sure. What yeah. about you? No, it, it's interesting you say that. Uh, I actually got, I got to cover – in February, we got to the Cougar. We got to go to Memphis to cover the men's team uh, at the FedEx Forum, and that was like the only time where they had a spot for us uh, courtside and and what do they got like close to the scores table, right behind the scores table. And like you just mentioned, it, it made me remind it, you reminded me of just what you mean right there, where you can hear like everything, you feel the atmosphere, and this was before the pandemic, so it was a full house a different thing. forum. Exactly, you could hear everything Kelvin Sampson was was yelling and telling his players. But um, yeah, in terms of just like in general at the Fertitta Center, uh, not much changed in terms of the way they had the the media signed. Uh, you know, they had them on that sec. I can't remember what section. I believe it's one sixteen, or it's above. It's pretty. It's kind of close to like you mentioned, where it's close to the upper concourse, but it's still in the lower bowl. Uh, so that didn't change much. Uh, it, I guess there was less media there in terms of for social distancing. But yeah, the biggest change had to be those Zoom meetings. Where honestly, it's good and bad. Uh, obviously, after the game, home games, we used to be able to go into the press box and ask you know coaches and players questions but you know for the road games as well they had availability for each road game this past season that's something that was big and we didn't necessarily have a year ago and it, I, one of the things that was kind of hard and honestly I can't compare it just in terms because this is the first time I'd ever covered an event during the NCAA tournament but you know, the, the more the Houston kind of advanced in the NCAA tournament, the harder it got to ask a question, especially once they got into the Sweet 16, Elite 8, and right. Final yeah. Four, yeah. where yeah. I, be, I believe they had like a 15 minutes like designated for Kelvin Sampson and only one student athlete um, per week or before the, the upcoming matchup. I know a couple of reporters were kind of ticked off that before the Final Four, like, after Monday, when they beat Oregon State, they did not have a player, Kelvin Sampson, availability until the Friday before the Final Four. And that's kind of the things that, you know, it kind of sucks just in terms of how limited everything was. But at the same time, like with everything, honestly, they're kind of goods and bads. And I'm kind of curious to see if they, how things go in terms of once things hopefully get better will they keep the zoom stuff will we ever be back allowed in the press box i, I think they will keep some of the zoom stuff i, I think they sh i think some of it was kind of cool i think they will because it some of it i think they made some like they want but i had one question from um someone who asked me they asked about the draft stock of dejan Giroux, mm -hmm. and i don't want I haven't really seen him in any mock drafts, but I think he potentially be maybe a late second round pick or maybe even a G League. And just some yeah. player comparisons who he remind me of is kind of like a Rajon Rondo. Yeah. Long wingspan, can really get to the rim, a pick and roll, my show, can dish it, the alley-oop, pocket pass, make all those passes as a point guard, really good defender. So I, I definitely think he has potential to, to play at the next level as well. Yeah, I I agree with with 
what you just said in terms of, you know, if he if he were to get drafted, it'd be a late second round pick. I kind of see him following the a little bit like what Nate Hinton did, where he might go as an undrafted free agent. Uh, I'm not sure if he'd be able to get as good of a deal that Nate Hinton got. But, you know, I think he might be one of those potential undrafted players where, yeah. you know, depending on how things are, if they do have a summer league, he, maybe he makes a team. Like, yeah, he league. plays well in the summer league. Yeah, that's and a good then point. A team can have him in and, and be a part of their G League team. I feel like that would kind of have to be his route to get into the NBA. But just in terms of what he was able to do his senior season, he certainly raised a lot uh, his stock. You know, I remember he declared for the NBA draft. Uh, after his junior season and you know uh, I believe he told Fox Houston that his intention was always to come back to to Houston he kind of wanted to get the feedback and I believe during the summer Kelvin Sampson talked about how that feedback wasn't uh, necessarily the best type of feedback in terms of how they criticized him Um, but I feel like he, he certainly worked a lot not just on the court just as a leader as well he was able to grow in a whole bunch of different avenues. So, and I feel like that would be the route he would have to take. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. And just before we end, I think that um, having Kevin Sampson now in your corner to piggyback and to vouch for you, I think that bodes well for him going into that next level as well. And I, I think he really flourished. I think one of the questions that they had, if he can knock down an open jump shot, and he proved that he can do that. He yeah. knocked down some big threes throughout this entire season, yeah. even in the tournament, showing his greed and his leadership. So definitely think he does have um, potential to play at the next level and will maybe potentially go that route like you mentioned. Yeah, like you mentioned, he hit a lot of big shots, especially, you know, against Memphis and again, both times against Memphis in the regular season and in the conference tournament. And like I said, in that Rutgers game, he was really not only like an emotional leader, but when he came back after you know, he was battling that hit pointer injury, he hit a big three, too. And he was yep. part of that that rally. So he certainly showed that he can be an effective playmaker. Well, he's always shown that he, he was an effective playmaker. But like you said, also a shot making ability when he is open. The question is if if teams kind of, you know, take a flyer on him. That's why I feel like he has to kind of work his way up to to potentially get to the NBA one day. Yeah, I agree 100%. I agree 100%. I think both programs are definitely on their way, continuing to rise. The Houston program has already gotten to the final four, but it's still another step to make and as to making it to the championship and eventually winning. And I think they're on the right path. And I really enjoyed this episode. I enjoyed my inauguration into the Paul Slammer Jamma family and my um, first episode, man, it was a, it was a blast. I had fun. I loved it. Yeah, for sure. It's a great debut day on it. It's man. The time flew by. I think this might be one of our longest shows, but you know, we, we had a good in-depth conversation. I hope our listeners really enjoy it. And like you, you mentioned, that's going to do it for today's episode. So if you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And be sure to follow at Apollo HOU for blogs, merch, video, podcasts, and more original Houston sports content not found anywhere else. Again, that's Apollo HOU. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back on for our next episode of Pod Slamma Jamma covering your University of Houston Cougars.